This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Ishmael Kawaja. Hello, hope you're well. Thanks for downloading today's podcast on Tuesday the 23rd of August. There's more anger over sewage spills and we look ahead to Gillingham's match tonight. But first, the courts heard how a dad of three used a shovel like a baseball bat in an attack in Hearn Bay. Reese Cannon went after his victim while children were watching in February. Well, Lucy joins me now with more on this. It sounds pretty shocking, doesn't it? Yes, well, the former Canterbury College student who's from Baymews pulled up in a black car with three others getting out armed with the shovel. He repeatedly hit his victim on the head and broke his leg just as children were leaving school. The sharp edge of the tool also cut his face, causing a deep gash. Prosecutor Anthony Hook told Canterbury Crown Court that the defendant could be heard saying, I don't care, I'm going to kill you. And this wasn't the first time he'd been violent, was it? That's right, he has a long list of previous convictions, including headbutting, punching, strangling and biting a former girlfriend on her face. On that occasion in 2018, he was jailed for 35 months. So what was the outcome this time? Well, at an earlier hearing, the 30-year-old admitted grievous bodily harm with intent and possession of an offensive weapon. During the sentencing, recorder Amy Nicholson told him it was fortunate the attack was not fatal and jailed him for eight years. He must serve at least two-thirds of his sentence before he's considered for release, plus another four years on licence. Thanks, Lucy. Kent Online reports. Our other top stories today. A man's due to go on trial next month accused of attempted murder following a stabbing in Tunbridge Wells. The victim was attacked at a property on Upper Grosvenor Road last Thursday and managed to drive away before calling an ambulance. He's now in a stable condition. A 44-year-old has been remanded in custody until the hearing at Maidstone Crown Court. The number of asylum seekers crossing the channel to Kent has hit a new daily high. 1,295 people made the dangerous journey in small boats yesterday. Tory leadership candidate Rishi Sunak says he set out a detailed plan on how to deal with this. It involves removing the European definition of asylum, moving to a different international definition that will help us remove people. I will do whatever it takes to make the Rwanda plan work because we must have control of our borders and as Prime Minister that's what I will deliver. His rival Liz Truss has also promised to push ahead with the Rwanda plan but charities are among those taking legal action. They claim it won't work and we need safe and legal routes for refugees instead. Kent Online reports. It's feared ongoing sewage leaks on the Kent coast are putting people off visiting. No swim warnings have been in force at several beaches in the county after wastewater was released into the sea during heavy rain last week. It's also affecting businesses. Graham West sells shellfish in Whitstable. Every time it hits the media, I will then go from selling thousands of oysters. My green bin behind me, in October last year, 5,000 oysters I dumped in that skin. Live, healthy, they had to go in the skin. No one wanted to buy an oyster from Whitstable. I can only keep them so long before they go in the skin. And that is where they went, in a skin. Perfectly good oysters. The law says I can't put them back in the sea, but I cannot sell anything from this water because it has been blighted. I now have to buy jerseys, jersey oysters, which cost me over 20 odd pence an oyster more to sell. 
So I've had to put the price up to the public, whereas I could be using Whitstable water and making a lot cheaper and selling cheaper to the public. So either someone all needs to get their act together, the government needs to get their act together, and I think all these groups need to start lobbying the government more. Dick and Payne is from the Around the Clock restaurant, also in the town. It's happened so many times before. Uh, we're now coming towards the uh, bank holiday weekend when a lot of uh, families will be taking their children down to the seaside, want to have a swim, uh, and again, they can't do it because they've released a load of sewage into the water. Um, also being found out today that 90% of their uh, monitors either don't work or are not installed or not monitored. Um, so no one knows what's going into the sea at any one point. Um, so it doesn't make you feel safe to go in the, the sea at all. We've definitely seen a drop off on families um, and some of that will be down to people who want to come and swim. Um, we've also got regular people who come into the, the uh, restaurant who want to go and swim on a regular basis who've not been able to, to, to do that on various points during the year. Uh, even people who, who swim year round, so it's affected during the winter as well as the summer. I'd like to see the infrastructure updated so that it can handle these, but more importantly I think um, the directors wages and the uh, dividends that they give out to their to their shareholders should be linked to these amount of uh, waste because if it just goes unchecked they'll just keep on doing it. Uh, if there was uh, something in place that it was linked to the dividend and the, the director's pay I'm sure it will get, get sorted a lot quicker. Our local MP Rosie Duffield has criticised water companies. I'm really sick to death of this to be honest and so are all my constituents and the people living along the East Kent coast because our way of life as you know is so based on the sea and living where we do and the beautiful um, coastline and we are not able to use it on a daily basis we can't go swimming or sailing or you know tourists can't just paddle in the sea without checking their apps and checking what's going on and every single time we get a tiny little bit of rain the apps start bleeping and there's these kind of warnings not to go in the sea so very frustrated and angry actually lots of people sort of threatening not to pay their bills and I can sympathise with that, to be honest. Um, the companies don't seem to be doing their job. But more importantly for our area as well is that, or just as importantly, is that we've got tourists coming and they're going to read these stories. Our economy is so, you know, based on having visitors to Canterbury and Whitstable and using our beautiful coastline. You know, we're really proud of it. We're proud of the sort of blue flag status and things. And if we're starting to lose that or people are questioning whether they should come, that's going to have a real effect on local businesses. There is so much, there's so many alternative things. This doesn't have to happen. It doesn't have to happen ever. They don't have to release sewage into the sea every time there's a tiny bit of rain. The system is built so that, well, it's a very old fashioned old system. They should be investing money into making sure that these are exceptional circumstances where they release the sewage. And in fact, it's not. It's on a kind of daily, weekly basis. So there needs to be so much more done. Basic repairs, investment building to meet the needs of the 21st century and with all of the money that these companies get they should be doing that rather than worrying quite so much about the profits going to the shareholders in my opinion. Warnings not to swim in the sea at Folkestone and Laysdown have finally been lifted though so the water say they're working on ways to reduce storm overflows. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group. 
with car dealerships in Canterbury and Maidstone. A Kent schoolgirls narrowly avoided plunging into the flat below hers after rotten floorboards collapsed and she got out of the bath. Clive Depazia found his nine-year-old daughter with her legs dangling through the ceiling at the property in Canterbury Street in Gillingham. He's been told repairs will be carried out but says he'd been complaining about the floorboards for months and has put up a makeshift board across the 12-inch hole. The landlords say they won't be making a comment. It's emerged Ryanair and EasyJet are among airlines holding talks to get passenger flights up and running at Manston Airport. It comes after the government approved plans to turn it into a cargo hub, despite experts advising that it won't be viable. The owners of the site say they're confident of persuading one or more low-cost carriers to base their planes there. A mountain of illegally dumped tyres has caused a coastal footpath in Kent to be closed for a year. The route along the canal basin in Gravesend was shut in December as the county council said the fly tipping poses a danger to walkers. It was supposed to reopen after six months, but the tyres haven't been removed, so the closures have been extended. Kent Online reports. A former soldier from Canterbury is bidding to become the first double above-the-knee amputee to climb the world's tallest mountain. Harry Buddha Majar lost both of his legs while serving in Afghanistan in 2010. He's been chatting with Nicola. After uh, losing my legs, you know, I lost all of my confidence. And at that point, I, I thought that I couldn't able to do anything. I'm going to, you know, live the rest of my life in wheelchair and that, and and. I never thought in my life that I would I would lose both my legs. Later on, I started um, doing some adventure and sports, and that's what it gave me confidence. And um, I grew up in Nepal. I was born in Nepal up to age of nineteen, uh, and I joined the British Army and moved up to <laughs> moved to UK, and lost when I was serving in Afghanistan. And I always wanted to climb mountains. Later on, 2016, I I tested myself, went to Nepal and did, did a little bit here and there. And yeah, I'm going to climb now. Yeah, this is my, my dream is coming to true. So simply, it's simply me climbing mountain, um, conquering my dreams that I would like to inspire other people to conquer their dreams as well. It is an incredible challenge that you've set yourself. But do take us back to you mentioned you were serving in Afghanistan. And unfortunately, that is where you lost your legs. Can you just tell us what happened? It was 17th April 2010. We had just gone to Afghanistan. We had a two weeks of the familiarization training. Then we had just gone into the to the trader. And uh, uh, our job on that day was to take two engineers so that they can, you know, uh, survey the well and so they can go and repair the well for the local people later. But also familiarize the area because we just been there. Uh, and we are 20 people in the squad. We're in all single file, just walking, and suddenly went bang. And yeah, my life changed in uh, split seconds. To say that you want to do this climb, I mean, most people wouldn't even dream of of doing it. Can you explain how for you the climb will work? Do you wear prosthetics or do you not wear prosthetics? How do you climb a mountain that size? Yeah, I wear uh, prosthetic legs. Lots of people say that, you know, I wouldn't have frostbite, but honestly, I would have. I also can't afford to lose more limbs. (laughs) So yes, all prosthetic legs are adapted for me. And I'm trialing now heated socket. So in cold, it's very cold. So 
So I wear uh, uh, silicon liners, carbon fiber sockets, and which is metal attached. And in cold, it is very, very cold. And uh, in warm, it's very warm. So I wouldn't have a problem warm on the mountain, I guess. Uh, but I think I will have lots of cold. So um, so to just prevent uh, frostbite um, and keep, keep my stomach warm, I'm trialing some uh, heated circuits. Everything is, I have to adapt, uh, you know, normal, you know, shorts uh, or trousers wouldn't work for me. So I have to adapt that. Uh, summit suit, I have to adapt that. Good thing is I wouldn't need like a full sleeping bag because I'm short. <laughs> it's quite expensive, isn't it, to uh, climb Everest? Tell me a little bit about the fundraising that you've got to do. Yeah, it is it is very expensive. Kit equipments are expensive, um, but also... Uh, I need to take a couple of more my team that who can assist me as well. So I need to pay for them. So that makes it more expensive. And yes, we have just launched a crowd funder and raising some fun from there. Um, some of my communities and my friends, families, charities who donated me some money. But that's not enough. It's very, very expensive. And what have your family said to you, Harry, about this challenge? Do they are they supportive? Are they a bit concerned about you? Initially, they were quite concerned um, that yeah, no, you know, you know, my wife said we have already suffered quite a lot, and we don't want suffering again, and <laughs> and which is very understandable. But I think if we say there's you know dangerous, you know then everywhere is danger. I think it's coming out of our door is danger. Walking in the street is dangerous. Driving around is dangerous. So if we think, um, you know, all, all everything is dangerous, then we couldn't able to do the things that what we wanted. And uh, uh, and so once you, you know, training, like going to war is dangerous, right? <laughs> but, 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 you know, we train for that. We set our mindset for that, but also, we uh, calculate all the risk and minimize as much as we can. So um, at the moment, they're happy. He's already managed to climb Mount Kilimanjaro and Ben Nevis on prosthetics. The 43-year-old needs to raise £300,000 to do the challenge, which he's hoping to complete next spring. Kent Online reports. If you're a big horror fan and know your Draculas from your Frankensteins or are into Star Wars, then the name Peter Cushing may sound familiar. The actor, who starred in more than 100 films, lived out his last 25 years in Whitstable. Well, there are now concerns his former home is not being protected and has been left to fall into disrepair. Crowds often gather outside the property near Island Wall on the town's seafront, but visitors say they're disturbed by its state, with the garden in particular looking overgrown. Canton Line understands the owners of the home now live away and are currently unable to carry out any renovations. And Kent Vineyard has announced plans to create wine tasting rooms. Bosses at the Gusbourne estate near Tenterden are hoping to replace the gazebo they use at the moment. You can see designs for the new building in the story on our website. Kent Online Sports. Football and Gillingham take a break from League Two action tonight when they play in the second round of the Carabao Cup. The Gills welcome League One side Exeter City to Priestfield following a 0-0 draw at home to Walsall on Saturday. Our sports reporter Thomas Reeves has been looking ahead to the game. There'll be changes to the side for, for Gillingham. Um, Harris pretty much confirmed that after the Walsall game. And there will be changes, but um, I've got no doubt he'll... Um, He'll, he'll want to see a side progressing in the competition and doesn't have the biggest of squad, so it probably won't be 
want to be looking at wholesale changes. Of course, if uh, Gillingham can get through, they, they could have actually got Premier League opposition in, in round two and um, got plumped with um, Exeter at home. Not the Kramatai that they would have hoped for, but probably probably one they look at as a as a winnable one uh, at home to a team higher league opposition. Yes, but only only one division higher. So of course, if if they can get through to through to round three tonight, um, that could set them up with. Uh, of course, again, it will depend on the draw, but could set up with a uh, Premier League opposition in, in round three. It sounds like uh, Gillingham's defence might, might be in for a busy busy night if um, Exeter's first round ties anything to go by, though. Um, they won 7-0 at Cheltenham. So, yeah, definitely definitely could be a busy night for, for the Jills back line. So maybe maybe won't be too much tinkering with that. Don't want to be bringing in sort of too many players that are new to the level, because that would be... Yeah, Quite the lesson and, and a balancing act, I'm no, no doubt. Uh, Neil Harris will be uh, trying to sort of get get right. Although Exeter actually lost to um, Cheltenham in the in the league at the weekend, so so they come into the game on the back of a defeat. So it'll be it'll be an interesting night. The pressure off the Jills slightly um, away from from league action. Exeter on on the road. Um, Exeter now in in League One and Gillingham in League Two, of course. But the the last time they met was not not that long ago, November twenty twenty. They met in the FA Cup, and actually at the time, Gillingham were were the League One side and and Exeter were the League Two side. So um, not a lot between the clubs in terms of uh, stature and size size of the club. Thanks, Tom. Kickoff is at seven forty five. That's all for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can now get access to the ad free Kent Online Premium site by subscribing at kentonline.co.uk slash subscribe. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall.